Okay, good morning family. Wishing one and all again a blessed new year. As you know by now, Pastor Melvin has retired and in many ways he's like uh, Moses to the Methodist Church in Singapore and to Trinity Annual Conference. At the very least here at Amokyo Church, he journeyed with us for 40 years. If you do not know, he was one of the pioneers who came to volunteer and help out at the start of uh, founding of Amokyo Methodist Church and last year he completed his service as a track pastor seeing Amokyo celebrate our 40th anniversary. So what do you do when a giant like him retires? In many ways, I feel inadequate like Joshua. How am I going to lead the church into the next lap? Humanly speaking, whenever a new person takes over, the question is often asked, what's your vision? What are your strategies? Quite frankly, I don't have any of my own personal vision. But what I do have is a story, a story of the journey that God took me on to confirm this role that he has called me to. So before I share that story, let us pray. Papa, I just want to honour you with this story and all that you have done in my life. I offer a bit back as thanksgiving to you. Holy Spirit, reveal your plans to us, your goodness to us. And help us to align ourselves to all that you desire to do in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, some of you know, I have just returned from the trip to Israel, Jordan, Israel, last year. What you didn't know is the full story. So, here's the full and long story. Back in 2017, after my return from studies, a church member asked if I was interested in leading a group to Israel. And my immediate response to her was, no, I do not want to go to Israel. I want to spend time with my family. Part of the reason I went to study was so that I can spend some family time with them. You know, as a pastor, some many nights are out, uh, weekends are burned, so I don't really get to see my children when they are free. So I didn't want to spend another 10 to 14 days away from my family, so I told her no. But out of the blue one morning, as I was brushing my teeth, the Lord said to me, I want you to lead this tour, this trip to Israel. And I knew it was the Lord. By the way, this sermon, I won't have many uh, systematic teaching like, my, like what I usually do, but I just want to share with you some of the ways I live my life and whatever you can pick up, you pick up, okay? So, uh, I knew it was the Lord who spoke to me. How did I know? Past experiences. The Lord has always spoken to me in a certain way. I never heard an audible voice of God before, but I knew it was a still small voice of the Holy Spirit telling me to do it. Secondly, my mind, if you are thinking about confirmation, my mind wasn't thinking about the subject matter at all. I was brushing my teeth. I was thinking about, am I cleaning my teeth well? So when the thought came in, I knew it cannot be from me. And the third reason I knew it cannot be from me, because I don't want to go. Right? Clearly, I don't want to go. So I knew it was God's voice, because it cannot be the devil's voice. Why would the devil want me to go to Holy Land and bring people to Holy Land? Impossible, right? So I knew it was the Lord. And so with that command from the Lord uh, to lead the trip, the first thing I did was to seek permission from my wife. <laughs> you know, we are the head of the household as husbands, but we need to honour the neck that supplies the blood to the head. So I asked her for permission first. Uh, so how, you know, the Lord has spoken this to me. Uh, reluctantly, my wife agreed because I told her it's the same voice that brought us to US, the same voice that, you know, taught us to come back and stuff like that. Uh, so that's the story that I will share next month. And so with my wife's permission, I started exploring this trip, the details with a travel agent. So I gave them an initial period, September, October period, nice cool weather, not cold, not hot, perfect weather. Uh, and I wanted it to be before seven, the 70th year ends for Israel, at least according to the Hebrew calendar. And I told them, we should, one pack, uh, one bus of 40 packs should be enough. I mean, the last time I led this trip four years ago, only 20 people from Amokyo signed up. 
I mean, 40 should be enough, right? Unfortunately, when I asked the church to give an indication of interest, to my surprise, over 80 people signed up. So I had to go back to the travel agent. Okay, look, uh, you know, can we work something out? And he said, it's very tough. It's the 70th year. Israel receives a lot of flurries. All the hotels are booked. But nevertheless, they said they will try. So they tried, tried, tried. Ding dong, ding dong for a few weeks. Either uh, with suggestions, either to shift the dates or to book the people in two separate hotels. So for me, obviously, the second option was unviable. How can you put people in two hotels? Chaotic, man. So that was out. They suggested shifting the dates, but I wasn't very comfortable. I wanted the cool weather, remember? Not cold weather. Uh, very selfish here, but I just wasn't sure I should change the dates. And just when uh, things weren't moving, I was about to give up. Another travel agent was uh, introduced to me. So I went to talk to them. And almost immediately, the very next day, this new travel agent said, okay, I can give you uh, hotels, flights even, but you need to shift the dates. But I can guarantee for you all the hotels and flights. So I was thinking to myself, how should I go for it or not? And then to my surprise, God said, I want you to be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah. I want you to be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah. Very specific. So I was taken aback by this. Uh, so when I checked the new itinerary proposed by the new travel agent, to my surprise, the new itinerary says, I will be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. So that was the confirmation that I will go with this new travel agent, even though personally I didn't like the cold, but I knew the Lord had spoken, I have to go this way. So we signed the contract in March for a minimum of 70 packs. And I released the new dates to the congregation. Sadly, more people withdrew. Then new people joined us. The teachers were happy. It's school holidays, so they could join in. But others had already made other December plans, so they couldn't join in. So the numbers dropped. They hovered around 60 plus. The high 60s for a long time. I was a little bit worried, but I still had the peace of God in my heart. But I was worried because the agent in the contract said, if we don't hit 70, each person has to pay $1,500 more. There's a lot. I mean, they're already paying so much money, and I definitely don't want them to pay the extra thousand five. Then uh, the Lord said to me the third time about this trip. He said, "I will give you seventy. I will give you seventy. Again, very specific. And uh, when we left for the trip, guess how many we had? Seventy. Seventy people to celebrate seventy years of uh, Israel's independence, modern Israel's independence." Even though the Lord has spoken to the, uh, this to me, I was still very puzzled, at least by the second command. Why does the Lord want me to be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah? Why so specific? Even when I crossed over from Jordan to Israel, we went to the Sea of Galilee first for three nights and one more night in Dead Sea. I was asking the Lord, Lord, why do you want me to be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah? What's so special about it? I went to read up Hanukkah. I went to read up a lot of things, but still no revelation. God did not say anything. So fast forward to the day we finally arrived in Jerusalem, day number 8 of the itinerary. The plan was simply to visit Bethlehem. right? So after Bethlehem, we were supposed to check into our hotels. So uh, because there was still time, the tour guide suggested that we depart from the itinerary instead of going to the hotel. Let's go to the upper room. There's still time. Let's just do that. And I said, okay, la, I mean, let's make our money's worth. We're already there. Let's try to visit as many sites as possible. So we, we went to the new site uh, that was suggested, upper room. By the way, it's not the actual site. Most of the sites, if you go to Israel, are not the actual sites. How can something be there for 2,000 years? Okay, so don't be uh, too idealistic when you go to Israel next time. So we went to the reconstructed upper room. Uh, then there was second floor. Below upper room was the synagogue, and the Jews were celebrating the Hanukkah. 
It's the first time for me to see them. They were just dancing, men were dancing and celebrating and chanting. Or I don't know what they were saying, but they were just in a very happy mood celebrating the festival. And underneath the synagogue was one of the two possible sites for the tomb of David. The tomb of David. Uh, most likely this one is the fake one. Uh, okay? Just like the tomb of Jesus, actually they have two tombs. But anyway, uh, we don't know which one is the real one. Uh, so this time as I stood outside the synagogue, as I meditated on this fact that I'm standing above the tomb of David, a revelation was given to me. And immediately I prayed this prayer. Papa God, give me the anointing of David. Papa God, give me the anointing of David. And suddenly at that moment, I felt the pleasure and the, and the presence of God. As if God finally said to me, this is why I want you to be in Jerusalem for Hanukkah. So that you can ask for the anointing of of David, so that you can ask for the anointing of David. You know, if in the original itinerary, if we didn't go to upper room at all, I would have just missed it completely. I would have missed it completely. After Bethlehem, go to the hotel, couldn't sleep. But the tour guide suggested, let's do this. And I went along. Just to say this prayer. So why did God bring me on this complicated journey? What does this anointing of David have to do with Amokyo Methodist Church? Now, David wasn't just appointed, anointed to be a king, although I think I need that anointing as I take on this new role to govern well and wisely. Fundamentally, David's anointing is a worshipper. He's a worship leader. Just look at the number of psalms he wrote. He's a worshipper. Even the symbol of the city of David is a musical instrument. It's symbolized by the harp. The olive oil I brought back from Israel. Uh, my wife will, will greet you later on. She's packing my room, helping me to pack my room. Thank you, wife. Uh, so she, even the olive oil that we brought back uh, had the picture of David playing a musical instrument. So at his core, David really was a true worshipper. That's the fundamental call, the anointing of David. That David is such a precious man uh, that it is written in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David is a man after God's heart. Do you know what is our church vision? Look at the bulletin, the back of the bulletin. To be a Methodist family after God's heart. David, a man after God's heart. The Amokyo vision is to be a people, a family after God's heart. And so I knew that God wanted me to go on this journey so that he can annoy me for the role that I'm supposed to embark on. The first part of this vision, to be a Methodist family after God's heart, uh, that happened through my studies in 2016-17 that rekindled the Westian flame. The details are far too long. It's another long story. I will share that next month. But that's the first part of the church vision and the Lord has anointed me when he brought me to US for that. The second part of this church vision to be the family. On 10th of November, I have a picture of my journal. Just before I fell asleep, I heard in my spirit the same voice, the same way God speaks to me all the time. You are anointed for family. And I was like, ah, God, what are you talking about? I'm trying to sleep here. No, why are you talking to me? Are you telling me that you are, I'm anointed for family? What's the relevance? So you see the highlight there. And the bottom, I write, I don't know why God showed me this, but let's see how things unfold. So now, I look back. 
I look back on this journey that God has brought me through. Essentially, God has prepared me since 2015, 16 for this role. Anointing for the Methodist part of the vision. Part 1. Anointing for family. November, it was before the Israel trip. And number 3, Israel trip. Anointing to be a man, to be a family after God's heart. And that is why I said earlier, actually I don't have a personal vision for Amokyo Methodist Church. This is the vision that God has given to us. And I'm happy to run with whatever vision God gives to us. Since He has specifically anointed me for this, I will run with this vision. Some pastors, when they start a new, take on a new appointment, they have ambitious targets, like want to set a growth target, 2,000 people, whatever like that. But I don't have. I really don't have any of these targets. The numbers that really matter to me are the people who attend the prayer meeting. For me, that's the number that really matters from God's point of view. Right? Not that you are irrelevant, but if we can grow the percentage of people who attend the prayer meeting and consistent with the people who attend the worship service, that's when revival will come. Right? So if you have a thousand people worshipping on Sunday, if you have a thousand people at the prayer meeting, that's the most powerful church the world will ever see. So for me, I don't have any personal vision, but I have a passion. My passion is simply to lift the name of Jesus high. I'm a very simple person. I don't like to complicate things. I just want to lift the name of Jesus high. Theologians debate, does the church exist for worship or for missions? I say, of course, it's both. And how? When we lift the name of Jesus high, Jesus says himself, he will draw all men to himself. So as a church, we worship the Lord, we lift up his name high, and he will draw people to himself. If Sunday worship is important, for me, the most important part actually is the worship. That's the most important part, not the sermon. I'm getting myself out of a job, doesn't matter. The main part actually is the worship. That's when we come together. Something that we cannot do on our own is to come together as God's people and worship Him. So don't skip the, more, the front part okay, of the worship service. Don't think it's buffer time for the sermon. No, please. To be a man after God's heart, to be a woman after God's heart, that worship, that anointing of David is key. David is known as a man after God's heart, as we have seen earlier. But did you know that David also occupied a very special place in God's heart? Give you two examples. Second Samuel chapter seven. David wanted to build God a house, a physical temple, right? Because David was living in a grand palace. The heart uh, of the covenant representing God's presence was in a simple tent that they brought back from the enemies. And so David wanted to build God a house. But God said to him, no, you shall not build me that physical temple. Your son Solomon will do it. But I will build you a house instead. So David wanted to build God a house. But David, uh, God replies, no, I will build you a house instead. It's a lasting legacy, a lasting dynasty. In fact, God honors David so much that Jesus had a very special title. We know that Jesus was called the Son of Man, reflecting his divinity. He's also known as the Son of God, reflecting his uh, divinity and humanity, sorry, this way. But he was also called the Son of David. Of all the titles, he's also known as the Son of David. Why not Son of Abraham, Son of Isaac, Son of Jacob? I mean, all these are his ancestors, you know. But he only had the Son of David as his unique title. So this shows the prominent place that David occupies in God's heart. At the very least, it shows us that you know God was faithful in keeping his promise to David, that David's dynasty and house would never end. 
give you a second example of this intimate personal relationship, reciprocal relationship between David and God. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, just the chapter earlier, David brought back the Ark of the Covenant and he was dancing before the Lord. He was so happy, he's such a worshipper. He didn't care that he's a king. He was undignified. He was not dressed as a king. And so he was dancing. His wife despised him because he wasn't dressed as a king. But he didn't care because all that mattered to him was just God. His name lifted up high. And so he built this tent to house the presence of God. Long after David died, God said through the prophet Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 to 12, In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent, fallen tabernacle. I will repair its broken walls, restore its ruins, rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. David built a tent to house God's presence. And God in return says, look, your tent has fallen because of generational sin. Kings that came after David, they sinned again, 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 again against God. So God removed them. So his tent, his worship has fallen. But God says, I will restore David's fallen tent. When Jesus, the son of David, came to Jerusalem, he surveyed the temple courts. And he saw the money changes. He cried out, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of robbers. And that's why he was so angry. David's tent has completely fallen. What happened to the worship? What happened to all this worship? What what are you doing with my father's house? David's heart is really for everyone to worship God. All of creation. Look at the psalm. Psalm 103. I don't have fit on the slide the details, but you can read it for yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He commands eventually, verse 22, Bless the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Everyone, come. Let's praise the Lord. Let's bless the Lord. So that's David's heart, to bless the Lord and everyone to join in. But when Jesus, the son of David, visited the temple, he saw this worship had been corrupted. People were using it for their own monetary gain. Instead of God's name being honored and you know lifted up high among the nations and the Gentiles, it turned into a marketplace and the Gentiles were barred from even entering So that's why Jesus cried out, the tent of David has fallen. My father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. So one reason why Jesus is called the son of David is because Jesus came to restore proper worship unto God. To rebuild that tent of worship, the tent of David. My study Bible notes had this to say about the restoration of David's tent. If I have something that captures my heart, this is another passage. A healthy, restored concept of the tabernacle will see the following evidence. Intimacy with God personally and corporately will be indisputable in all ministry expression. So my story can be your story too. We can all know the Lord intimately. Corporately, as a believing body, we can discern the Lord's will together. The presence or glory of the Lord will be consistently evident, felt, and seen. You can feel the presence of God every time you come to worship. Families as teams will work together in unified and supportive atmosphere without competition. The healing of relationships between families. The music ministry will demonstrate a strong spiritual-mindedness, prophetic age in praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Professional entertainment will not be the emphasis. The various types of songs of the Lord will function and flow according to the proper protocol, oversight, and development. I thank God for the new songs that we wrote as part of our 40th anniversary that's reclaiming our Methodist heritage as well. You see, the Methodist revival had songs. 
because they revived the tent of David. It's all part of revival. You cannot have revival without new worship songs. It's all part of the picture, whatever God wants to do. And finally, the revived tabernacle of David serves as a doorway whereby all the Gentile nations of the world will come to know Christ. A revived tabernacle of David holds the key for a global harvest of souls. That's what captures me. I thank God that in many ways, Amokyo Church is, to some extent, a house of prayer. We have people from many different nationalities worshipping with us, Filipinos, Indonesian, Vietnamese, Burmese, Malaysians, Koreans, Africans, Americans, Australians. So part of this vision is already being fulfilled, the house of prayer for all nations. But if you look at Isaiah chapter 56, where the house of prayer passage is taken from, at the end, verse 8, it says, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. God's heart really never ends. He continues to want to embrace people and bring the lost sheep into his house, just as Rakesh prayed and guided us in the time of intercession earlier to reclaim our family, loved ones, our friends, our nation for the Lord. Right? Verse 7, it says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's my heart. That's my desire. Now, at this juncture, some of you may be wondering, so what's the link between our church team, 2019, which is to serve, and all that I've said about David and this house of prayer? In the very first part of Isaiah 56, it says, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, that's us, since we are not Jews, and to, be, and to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. That's our description, our job description, to minister to God. Worship is when we minister to God. That is why it's so important. It's not us receiving, we are ministering to God to love the name of the Lord, to put it on our lips, to sing it out, and to be His servants. That's our church team for the year. Right? Continuing this idea of linking all the three together, we have chosen also a disciple's heart as our Bible study for these two months. Besides the benefit that it's a continuation from last year's uh, book, so it's easier, the format is the same, but service really must arise first from one's heart for God. Before you can serve God, before you can talk about serving God, you must address the attitude of worship. Before we can do anything for God, we must be worshippers of God. And that is a matter of the heart. It's a heart matter. And so we will appropriately embark on our study of a disciple's heart starting next week. To be a Methodist family after God's heart, we must first and foremost deal with our own hearts. Secondly, I have written uh, in our introduction to our journal for the year, the Hebrew words, Avoda and the Greek word, uh, Hebrew word Avoda and the Greek word Latreo, from which we get the English translation surf, may also be translated as worship. I don't have time, so I will just use the Hebrew word Avoda as an example. So in, in some verses, the word Avoda is translated as work, but in other verses, it's translated as worship, to show you that actually they, are, they go together. Exodus 34 verse 21, one of the Ten Commandments, it says, Six days you shall work or serve. Avoda. But in Exodus 8.1, it says, this is what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me or serve me, depending on your English translations. So you see the two often go together, worship, I mean, and service. So from a biblical point of view, that they are really just two sides of the same coin. And that is why I said, worship is more important than the word, believe it or not. 
Okay, worship is actually more, more, far more important. The classic example of this famous verse is Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. That's our priority. That is my prayer for my family, Valerie, my wife, myself, my children. But this is also my prayer for all of us. That we will be able to say this. Because I see Amokyo Church as my spiritual family. Can we say this together? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve and worship the Lord. And with that verse, I want to conclude by laying out some rough plans for 2019 and beyond. The chapter 1 of our book study uh, had a very interesting, has a very interesting title. It says, Where Do We Go From Here? When we decided on the book, uh, I found this chapter's heading very interesting. What kind of heading is that? Where do we go from here? Until I prepared today's sermon. Then I realized, after 40 years, where do we go from here? Even the book, God has a funny way of dealing with me, you know. Where do we go from here? So as we begin our 41st year as a church, as we enter so-called the promised land, a new era, let us continue to strive to be that Methodist family after God's heart. I'm not changing the vision. We continue to do it. We press into it. The same three-pronged effort, the three areas that God has specifically anointed me for, I think it's quite clear. I will focus on that. So how, number one, for the Methodist part, we are returning to the heart and the engine of the early Methodist movement, the class meeting. It's not the same format as the cell meetings, uh, but I have already trained some of the zones, and the other zones will undergo the training. Majority of them will undergo the training this year. But historically, these class meetings, the format has been used, have, have propelled Methodism to, to revival and growth. So we need to recapture the way it's been done, the class meetings. Secondly, and more importantly, the class meetings will enable us as a spiritual family to watch over one another in love. It cannot be the pastor's job to watch over everyone individually. Impossible. John Wesley knew it in his time, and I know it now. It's impossible. We need one another. We need to watch over one another in love, and the class meeting is able to create that platform. I have many more things to say about this subject matter, but that will have to wait till February when we talk about classes and societies in the book study. So that leaves us with the final aspect of being a people after God's heart. How do we do that? We need to emulate David to have that personal, intimate relationship with God. Actually, Joshua, uh, Moses' prodigy, also had a very intimate relationship with God. In the book of Exodus, we find out that after Moses leaves the tent of meeting, Joshua lingered. He stayed back. He spent time with the Lord. Even though Moses had left, he continued to spend time with the Lord. He lingered in God's presence. And so we too must always make God's presence our goal in life to spend time with Him. And I believe that's one of the reasons uh, Joshua was chosen to replace Moses because he knew God intimately. God knew him intimately. Even though it's not stated, I believe Joshua was also a man after God's heart. Secondly, I want to say that we need to learn how to serve. As the verse says, as for me and my household, when we learn to serve the Lord, we become a people after God's heart. I want to share a, a few verses that became very dear to me over the years. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 to 3, and you will see the relevance also to our, uh, where we are heading. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. 
Does it refer to us? I think at least we may not be the only ones, but certainly we are alluded in this passage. It's written in Jerusalem, so the distant islands, that's us. We are not very near Jerusalem. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. This part uh, is a reminiscence of the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah is dear to me because that's how the Lord called me into ministry with the same verses. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hit me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. This verse is, um, is it, it's precious to me because this was the very verse that my first pastor in charge, Reverend Yami He, prayed for me when I was ordained as a deacon back in 2011. The Greek word diakonos, which we get the English word deacon, merely means servant. Servant. And then uh, last year, when I went to visit a cell group, I was teaching them to hear God's Spirit, learn to prophesy by faith, to work by the Holy Spirit. One of them that I did not know very well, as he prayed for me, he heard the song, Make Me a Servant. Make Me a Servant. See, verse 3, You are my servant. Right? And that was the very song, Make Me a Servant, that I chose when I was ordained as an elder. When I look back and join all these dots, it really amazes me. When I went to Israel, there was a triple confirmation, remember? Three times the Lord confirmed it. Now, here, a triple confirmation that took place over many years. Ordained 2011, here in Amoko Church, as a deacon, a servant, chose the song Make Me a Servant in 2013 when I was ordained as an elder, and someone prophesied and saw, heard the same song when I visited the cell group, reminding me that I need to continue to serve. And in the year that I take over, so-called, what's our church team? Serve. How to run away. How to run away from being a servant. Right? So, triple confirmation, and that's what I desire to do. Uh, I'm a very simple person. I just want to serve the Lord. But sometimes people read too much, and that's unfortunate. When news first spread that I was going to be appointed pastor in charge of Amokyo back in November last year at the annual conference, someone in my own family, not my wife, not my kids, came up to me and asked me, Are you happy? Are you happy? This is something that you have always worked hard for, right? You know, when I heard that, actually my heart sank. I was like, after so long, you don't know me? You are my family member and you don't know my heart. It's just to serve God's people. Whether you believe it or not, I leave it to you. But my conscience is clear. God is my witness. I really don't desire for promotion or anything like that. Many of you wish me thank you for that wishes. You say thank you for your, prom- I mean, uh, your promoter, whatever, like that. But really, I just want to quietly do my work and serve the Lord. I'd rather spend time with my family so that my children will love and serve God all their lives. That's my prayer for them to love and serve God all their lives. That's far more important to me than my own career. If they grow up loving and serving the Lord, enough. That's all that it takes for me. And so when that family member thought that I had worked very hard to get this promotion, I really felt very sad. Like, oh, I really don't need this position. But God has brought me on this journey to tell me that I really don't have a choice. Serve me in this position that I call you to. So please pray for me. I appreciate all the prayers so that I can continue to serve God by His grace. Like Pastor Melvin, uh, it doesn't really matter to us if you don't address us by our titles, EIC, Reverend, or Pastor. My identity is not found in my title. As Pastor Melvin says, there are no titles in heaven. Uh, God dealt with me on this issue many years ago. I was willing to lay down my entire pastoral ministry 
God, if you call me out, I will lay it all down because God, I'll follow you wherever you call me. And so I really don't bother about the title anymore. So you can call me anything you wish. And Anthony, Downey. Those of you who have my WhatsApp, you know that's my name that I use for my WhatsApp. And for me, that's my way of reminding myself that I need to be childlike. That's my primary school nickname. All these years until now, my friends still call me that. And that's fine. There are no titles. Who cares? I mean, God calls me his son. That's good enough. Right? So you can call me friend if you forget my name, brother, it doesn't matter. Just don't call me Oi. Okay? <laughs> or call anybody else Oi for that matter. I don't think that's honor- honoring to any human being. Okay? So you can call me whatever you're comfortable with. I just want to say that calling me Reverend or PIC will not make me happier. It will not grant you more favors. Not calling me those titles will not make me sadder and it will not punish you in any way. It doesn't matter, okay? Just allow us to serve you. I can say for our fellow pastors, we just want to serve the Lord and to serve His people. But if there's one thing you can really make me happy, is this. Please step up and serve. Please step up and serve. Especially those of you here at 10.30. 8 o'clock, many of them are serving multiple times. I also feel the pain for them. You know, some of them serve four or five ministries for decades. Like you, young adults, through their family life, I know family matters, but they continue to serve all these decades. And I look at them, wow, then what about the younger generation? Why aren't they stepping up to serve? I hope that at least 10.30, those of us at the hub also, we learn to step up and to serve and not let certain people carry all the load. It's not fair to them, and they are our seniors, many of them. I think we should honor them uh, by serving, taking up our responsibility to serve. So that's for us as an individual. There are many services to be done. Please come talk to any of the pastoral team members. We will show you, uh, direct you to appropriate ministry where your passion and your gifting can be found and used. Secondly, I want to challenge all the cell groups to serve in one area or one project or event, just like we did so in the year of missions. I've already briefed cell leaders, zone leaders. So every cell group, you're supposed to go and pray and seek the Lord. Don't just rely on your human understanding or human limitations. Let's see how the Lord will lead you as a cell group to go and serve in a particular ministry in church or outside there in the community. Right? So the third point is we want to continue to serve the needs of the Amokyo community just as Jesus. Actually, Jesus is an English name. His Hebrew name is Yeshua, which reminds you of Joshua. Yeshua, Joshua, he did not come to be served, but to serve. So we need to follow, like him, to be a people after his heart. And these two areas, serving in church and serving the community, don't have to be mutually exclusive. If your cell group feels led that you want to do a community project, go. We will bless you. Of course, seek our approval of the details, but we will gladly support you if you want to serve the community. But every cell group, I hope you will take up this baton to serve in 2019. Because that's really what it means to be a people after God's heart. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Papa, I ask for the anointing of David, not for myself alone, but for the anointing to come upon us as a family. Make us a people after your own heart. And help us begin by taking up that mantle to serve, just as Jesus, the son of David, did. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.